Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Jim Rohn once said, effective communication is 20% what you know and 80% how you feel about what you know. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for 19 years. I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 974th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. That's right, and we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, so... Let's get started. And Jonathan, before we get started, today actually is kind of a special day. It is June 12th, and 19 years ago today was our very, very first Christian Questions broadcast. Wow. The Lord is good. Yeah. And you know what? You're old. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. So anyway, what are we talking but about? you're older than me. That's so true. There. That's true. Yes, I am. So what's our subject for today? Well, Rick, our question is, why doesn't anyone listen to me? And our theme text is found in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we're talking about communication. And we all need to be heard, and we all need to be acknowledged. We all need that feeling of vindication that comes with being personally recognized as having value. And all of this comes to the important tool of communication. The problem is that we have become terrible at both the giving and receiving ends of the communication spectrum. Somehow, we think that posting, texting, tweeting, and emojis can replace actual conversation, looking someone in the eye, feeling their emotions, or touching their shoulder. Whether it is our lack of attention span, our need for convenience, personal laziness, or simply not knowing what we're missing, we have seemingly deserted real, true, person-to-person communication and replaced it with cold and emotionless technology. So, what do we do? How do we relearn both the giving and the receiving ends of this invaluable and necessary tool for a fulfilled life called communication? Rick, I've found that emails and texts are often misunderstood. You don't hear inflection or emotion You don't see the facial expression or the body language. And so, so much is missed. Yeah. And I feel guilty because I love texting a quick note. Yeah. And uh, I've fallen for it. (laughs) Well, but now, I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's also important. Look, all all, uh, internet technology communication isn't bad. That's not what we're saying. 
We need to, to question if there's a better way, though. So do we settle for texting when we could call? Sometimes texting really works. You know, if someone's in the middle of something and you know they have a special presentation to give, you don't call them and say, hey, it's me, Rick. Good <laughs> luck. You text them, you know, a little thumbs up like, yeah, I'm thinking about you. So it has its place. The question is, do we replace better communication with lesser communication? So, Jonathan, it's always our objective with each subject that we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant and practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite, we try and find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. So today, we are really thinking about what communication is and how to get it to work better in our lives. So, Jonathan, what does it mean to communicate? If you look it up in the online dictionary, what are you going to find? Well, Rick, uh, several definitions. First is to convey knowledge of or information about. Second, to reveal by clear signs. And third, to, ca to cause to pass from one to another. Okay, so there's various shades of the meaning of the words uh, for communication, and that's an important thing because what we're going to find is it's not always exactly the same thing. Uh, so let's start with going to a soundbite from a TED Talk by Julian Treasure, How to Speak So That People Want to Listen. And in this, he talks about seven bad habits of communication. And in this particular soundbite, he's going to give us the first three of these seven bad habits. And folks, pay close attention because these are the kinds of things that we all fall into. The human voice. It's the instrument we all play. It's the most powerful sound in the world, probably. It's the only one that can start a war or say, I love you. And yet many people have the experience that when they speak, people don't listen to them. Why is that? How can we speak powerfully to make change in the world? What I'd like to suggest, there are a number of habits that we need to move away from. I've, I've assembled for your pleasure here seven deadly sins of speaking. I'm not pretending this is an exhaustive list, but these seven, I think, are pretty large. Habits that we can all fall into. First, gossip. Speaking ill of somebody who's not present. Not a nice habit, and we know perfectly well the person gossiping five minutes later will be gossiping about us. Second, judging. We know people who are like this in conversation, and it's very hard to listen to somebody if you know that you're being judged and found wanting at the same time. Third, negativity. You can fall into this. My mother, in the last years of her life, became very, very negative, and it's hard to listen. I remember one day I said to her, it's October the 1st today, and she said, I know, isn't it dreadful? <laughs> it's hard to listen when somebody's that negative. <laughs> I think that is such a great example. I mean, it's a sad example, but it's a great example. What's wrong with October 1st? Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know it must be getting colder, and I, I don't know. But, I mean, the point, gossip, judging, and negativity. How often do we just sidestep or fall into, without even realizing it, into a gossip attitude, a judging attitude, and really think about it. How often are we negative about the things and the people and the circumstances around us? No wonder people sometimes don't want to listen because, you know, what we say may not be that good. So, look, communication in the Bible, communication in Scripture is not about connecting with others' emotions. Now, see, we tend to think that that's what communication is. It's all about me connecting with your heart, and it is. But interestingly, in the Bible, it's not about connecting with others' emotions, nor is it really about being personally understood. 
And so you say, well, what else is there? Well, the Bible does give a number of examples of communicating through co-laboring and through common cause. The only words translated communicate in the Bible are along the, these lines of co-laboring and common cause. So, so Jonathan, let's, let's start out by going through a couple of examples of the Bible's version of communication, and then let's try and figure out what that might mean for us. The one who has taught the word is to share or communicate in the King James Version all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Okay, so the one who is taught in the, the word is to share in all good things the one who teaches him. That word to share, I mean, simply means... It means to share with others. Okay, so it's very straightforward. Like, there's no profound here. Uh, it's just a simple, straightforward, yes, to share with others. So the, the thought behind this is different. Again, we frame communication as speaking to someone's heart, and it is. We frame communication as having something that's important that we want to say and having it heard and received by somebody else, and it is. But the Bible seems to say, look, communication is even bigger than that. It accomplishes something on a much bigger scale. So, you know, Jonathan, in this Galatians scripture, and I think we talked about something very similar to this either last week or the week before. When, when you look at this, the one who is taught is to share or to communicate with the, with the one teaching. What, you know, from your perspective, what, what, what does that mean? Well, if you think about the one teaching, which has a weight of responsibility, to the congregation, they need encouragement too. Yeah, uh, They need stimulation and they need to be provoked to love and good works. Uh, and you just don't look up to them and, and leave them alone. They need that interaction, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that nails it right on the head that even if you are one sitting in the congregation, not the study leader or the, or the one giving the, the Bible talk, whatever it is, it doesn't mean that that individual is any, anywhere above you. And we're going we're gonna to develop this as we go. But it means that they happen to be in a position, and, and you put it well, of great responsibility. And with great responsibility comes that anxiety of how am I doing? Am I doing this job the way it should be done? And if you're not communicating with them, you're not giving them encouragement, even if that encouragement means, hey, you know, I appreciated what you said, but, you know, this part didn't make sense to me. Or the next time, if you could say it this way, it might, it might help more people. See, to me, being somebody in that kind of a position, that's, that's like gold to me. Tell me what was wrong so I cannot do it wrong next time. So, you know, that communication is not only giving feedback, but it's giving support and, and on all kinds of different levels. So it's just such an important thing to, to look at and to, and to focus on. Let's go to another scripture, another example of how the Bible describes communication. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live pros prosperously in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And so, Jonathan, in, that, in, that, in those verses, right at the very end, it says, you have done well to share with me. In the King James Version, that word is what? It means to share in company with, that is, co-participate in. So, to communicate. The King James says communicate. So, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I've, had, I've fallen on some hard times. And I've been in situations where I've been in hard times before. I've been in situations where, I, where, where things have been going great. I've, I know what it's like to have everything in abundance around me, to not have to worry, but to be able to just simply focus on, on, on the gospel. And I also know what it's like to be in a situation where I'm not sure where my next meal's coming from. And do you notice he doesn't complain about it? He doesn't say, boy, it's really tough when things are difficult. It's really tough when I'm not sure where my next... He just says, look, I know how to deal with that. And that's the context of the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not, I can do anything. I can jump over a building because Christ will strengthen me. It's, I can cope with the circumstances that God has allowed to be set before me because Christ strengthens me. But he says, you have done well to communicate, to participate with me in my lack. In other words, they may have sent him food or money so he could support himself to be able to do the things that he was supposed to be doing. Communication here, again, is support, specifically care of a physical nature for somebody who's going through a very uh, difficult kind of a trial. And that is a a great admonition for us to be ever concerned of those around us that have need that may not even be letting us know, but you can tell. And, And you need to ask those questions. You need to communicate to find out if there's something you can do to help. And, and, you know, I'm glad you brought it up that way because I don't think that the Apostle Paul sent out a letter saying, send money now. No, <laughs> you know? absolutely not. <laughs> you know, preferably 20s and 50s. You know, I mean, he, it, that's not, that wasn't his attitude. His attitude was to go about the work of the gospel, and word got back that he was in dire straits. Now, I know the Apostle Paul, by the character of his writings, didn't just go around saying, oh, I am in such great need, if only the brethren would, would support me. I just, no, 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 no. But these Philippians saw the need and really jumped on the opportunity. And they looked at it as an opportunity, not like, oh, he needs something. What are we, oh, not again. It's like, oh, we get to help the Apostle Paul. Let's do that. So that's... The communication, the participation. They were really connected with yes. Paul. Yes, absolutely, positively. So, so Jonathan, let's let's begin telling a story, a story of communication. And you know, we were talking about this story before we got started. Um, this is a very unlikely kind of a story, isn't it? It is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, this is a real wow story. Um, there are small little language edits in this in this particular sound bite. So if you know it gets a little choppy, I just uh, we just don't like to have certain words uh, on our podcast. So this is from a a uh, an NPR special, and it's uh, it was on YouTube called "Disarming a Robbery with a Glass of Wine." So let's take a listen and hear the introduction for this story. It was kind of one of those great evenings lots of awesome food and french wine and it was it was like a magical night michael rabdo the man that you just heard was there with his wife and his 14 year old daughter kyber he says it was getting later in the evening maybe around 10 when it happened 
I was standing beside my wife and I just saw this arm with a long barrel gun come between us. It was as if in slow motion, this hand, and then it just got really quiet. The hand belonged to a man, medium height, in a clean, high-end sweatsuit. He raised the gun and held it first to Michael's friend, Christina, and then to the head of Michael's wife. And um, then he said, you know, give me your money or I'm going to start shooting. Just kept repeating, give me your money, give me your money. That's Kyber, Michael's daughter. He looked anxious, nervous. Eyes wide. His tone was very aggressive. I mean, when he said, give me your money or I'm going to start shooting, we believed him. So you think, okay, we're having a conversation about communication, <laughs> and you go to a story about be, people being held at gunpoint. Like, where's the communication there? The man is communicating very well, isn't he? Oh, he is. <laughs> Just a very few words That's getting it. the point across. Yeah, something amazing what body language can do, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get back to that story as, as we uh, develop this subject throughout this, uh, this uh, podcast. But let's go to another example of biblical communication before we come back around to that. Distributing to the necessities of saints given to hospitality. Okay, and that's Romans twelve thirteen, and that word distributing is the same word as sharing with others. So it's the same thing. In the Bible, communicating is sharing. It's co-participating. It's not just words. It's, it's more. It's more than that. So what's our, what's our communication theme for this particular segment? Rick, it's communication in Scripture assumes a common purpose and a resulting strong personal connection. Okay, common purpose and a resulting strong and personal connection. So, so far, the biblical view of communication has nothing to do with what we normally would think it has. All right, Rick, a personal connection is good. What about if biblical communication means supporting those with common purpose, what about communicating with everyone else? How does a viewpoint look when we turn 180 degrees? CQ, Contradiction. While the Bible does not break down the methods of interpersonal communication that we now focus on as communication, it doesn't ignore them either. On the contrary, the Bible gives us many examples of strong personal communication and action in many differing circumstances. And Jonathan, we're going to spend a good portion of our time going through a specific focus on how the Bible shows us about communication in all in all aspects. And the first kind of communication we want to focus on is the public gospel communication, communicating the gospel, how we should be connecting with those who may not be sharing our faith. Uh, and the first thing we want to take a look at here is uh, making sure that we don't do any of those seven bad habits. Remember those, uh, those first three habits were gossip, judging, and negativity? Yes. Well, let's go back to Julian Treasure in his TED Talk and hear about habits four through seven. And another form of negativity, complaining. Well, this is the national art of the UK. It's, it's our national sport. We complain about the weather, about sport, about politics, about everything. But actually, complaining is viral misery. It's not spreading sunshine and lightness in the world. Excuses. We've all met this guy. Maybe we've all been this guy. Some people have a blame thrower. 
They just pass it on to everybody else and don't take responsibility for their actions. And again, hard to listen to somebody who's being like that. So the six of the seven, exaggeration. It demeans our language, actually, sometimes. For example, if I see something that really is awesome, what do I call it? And then, of course, this exaggeration becomes lying, out and out lying, and we don't want to listen to people we know are lying to us. And finally, dogmatism. The confusion of facts with opinions. When those two things get conflated, you're listening into the wind. You know, somebody is bombarding you with their opinions as if they were true. It's difficult to listen to that. So here they are, seven deadly sins of speaking. These are things I think we need to avoid. All right, so those seven deadly sins of speaking again are gossip, judging, negativity, complaining, excuses, exaggeration, and dogmatism. I really like the way he described complaining as viral misery. I oh, mean, yeah. you know, things go viral on the internet. Well, misery, <laughs> when we complain, we're, we're allowing misery to go viral. And, I mean, come on, do we really want to do that? That is not something good that ought to be communicated. So, um, Jonathan, the basis of the rest of our conversation here uh, is, are, are going to be some notes that accompany the, um, the story of the, uh, the glass of wine and the robbery. Um, now, we, there are lots and lots and lots of steps and articles that explain how to communicate better. And, and we, we chose this one because it's attached to that story, and it was uh, actually a very simple approach. So, so start to bring us through some of those notes. Most people react negatively from fear, stress, and anger. These reactions are simple habits learned at a young age. Over the past 20 years, I've coached countless people who've transformed these patterns because addictive habits can be changed. Okay, so there's kind of an introductory statement, and the bottom line is they're saying addictive habits can be changed. And look, when we communicate one of the reasons people don't listen to us is because we have the same habits of communicating over and over, and they're not getting our message across somehow or other. So when you get those habits and you repeat them and repeat them and repeat them, you end up being addicted to them. Well, in this, in this little article, they introduce six simple steps when feeling triggered by someone or something. Okay, what's the first step? Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about that. And what's the second step? It's observe. Become aware and conscious of what you're thinking and how you're feeling. Okay, so slow down and observe. And to communicate, to communicate well, this is a perfect place to start. What we want to do throughout most of the rest of the podcast is touch on a real live example of communicating in scripture. And Jonathan, one of the greatest communicators in scripture besides Jesus was the Apostle Paul. Yes. He had a way of getting to people's hearts. So we're going to look at an example of the Apostle Paul communicating with those outside of the faith. Now, the context of this, we're going to be going to Acts, the 17th chapter, and the context is Paul is in Athens. He is there. He's arrived ahead of others of the brotherhood, and he's waiting for them to get there so that he can, uh, so they can collectively work on their witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this 
is happening when he's there essentially by himself waiting around for those others who are going to be helping him. Acts chapter 17, it's going to be 16 through 34, but right now we're just going to do 16 and 17, and, we'll, and then we'll go a few verses at a time. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. Okay, let, let, let's go back through that verse a little bit. So he's waiting, and it says, His spirit was being provoked within him when he observed the city full of idols. When you see that phrase, his spirit was provoked within him, what do you, what do you think that means? It was motivated to say, how can I reach these people based on what I'm seeing here? Because what I see is pretty terrible. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It is, it is an attempt at some kind of, of worshiping, but it's completely off base. And, you know, when it says it was provoked within him, I can imagine he's looking and just kind of inside of himself nodding his head saying, oh, man, this is, this is, this is going to be tougher than I thought. I mean, wow, look at this. Look at, look at how far off this is. His spirit was, it, it troubled him to see the idolatry of these people. So that's the, the, the first part. And then, and then it says in verse 17, so he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. So, so he was doing his witnessing uh, in, in a different environment. So he spent his time waiting two ways. First, he was observing the people and their pagan religiousness. And then he spent his time in witnessing. But his witnessing was the exchanging of thoughts with those with whom he already had common ground. So it's interesting. He's observing. I think that Jonathan, when we read that verse about his spirit was provoked within him, I think the apostle spent a lot of time learning and observing the people, seeing what was important to them, how they acted, what they talked about, where they went, what the idols meant to them. And he's, I think that he's sort of cataloging all of this as he's observing. And then he spends his time talking about the gospel with those who at least have a same basis as he has. So it's like he gets off to the slow start to get the feel of the people uh, by starting with those who he has some familiarity with. And there's brilliance in that. What he did, he slowed down. He said, okay, while I'm waiting... Let me use this time to learn. Let me use this time to absorb, to figure out what drives these particular people. So what happens next? Verse uh, 18 of Acts chapter 17. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what about this idle babbler? Wish, what's he wish to say? Others, he seems to be proclaiming a strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So the interesting thing is he starts out in an environment where it's friendly, where he doesn't have to worry necessarily about uh, paganism and idolatry so much, but there's other people there that are listening in. And there's two different reactions here, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, definitely. <laughs> someone was saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Like, like, this guy babbles and babbles and babbles. He got these God things, and I don't know, I don't know. But others are saying, well, wait. He seems to be proclaiming some strange god, gods. Uh, how, how can we, we you know, what, what, what is it really about? So some people were lo like looking at him saying, oh, pff, heck with him. Others are looking at him saying, well, wait, 
Maybe we need to hear more. Right, right, right. <laughs> so here, here's the thing about that part of the scripture. His communications, his thought exchanges were also overheard by others, apparently in a way that they saw valuable. Everybody didn't see it as valuable, but the way he was communicating with those with whom he had familiarity was clear enough so that those who weren't familiar with Jewishness or with Christianity at all heard it and said, huh, there may be something here. What should I do about this? And I think that's a great subtle example of the power of really powerful communication. So the Apostle Paul, he slowed down, he observed, and then he went about his business. And now verses 19 through 21 of Acts chapter 17. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So now the Apostle Paul undoubtedly got wind of this and thought, hey, this is a great opportunity because all they want to do is they want to talk about something new. <laughs> Have I got something new for them? <laughs> Good point, Rick. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255 or leave us a comment at christianquestions.com. So, Jonathan, our first Apostle Paul communication lesson is what? If we observe and respect our environment and then exchange in the exchange of thought, our communication will have a strong basis for success. Okay, observe and respect, and then you start to talk based on those observations and that respect. You have a strong basis for succeeding. So with that strong basis for succeeding, let's go back to the guy with the gun who, who's crashing this party in this backyard with eight people, and he comes in and he says, give me your money, okay? So this, this soundbite's a little bit longer, but it, we need to just get the, 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 the fabric of the story to unfold before us. What happens next? But there was a problem, which is that no one in the party actually had money. It was a fluke thing, but there it was. What are, what are we going to do? We can't just produce stuff. So they just started talking, grasping for some way to dissuade the man, and naturally started with guilt. You know, what would your mother... What would your mother think of you? And he said something like, I don't have a mother. The exchange got more and more tense. It was just fueling the atmosphere of danger. And Michael remembers thinking, this is headed towards a very bad end. Someone was going to get hurt, if not all of us. This was it. But then one of the women at the table, this woman, Christina, pipes up. She has an offer for the man. Said, you know, we're here celebrating. Why don't you have a glass of wine and sit down? And it was like a switch. He could feel the difference. It was, it was definitely the right thing to say. All of a sudden, Michael says, the look on the man's face changed. And he tasted the wine and just said, damn, that's, that's a really good glass of wine. And we're like, well, I'll have some more. And we poured him some more wine and we had some cheese there too. And so he, 
he reached down for the cheese and then um, he put the gun in his pocket and he sat down. Isn't that amazing? Wow. You, you never would expect something like that to happen, you know, to be able to, to, to have that. I mean, nobody had any money. So she's thinking, what else can we do except offer him to just calm down? And it was a it was a an amazing transition that happened at that point. So we'll get back to the story and what further uh, happened, but it really is very very dramatic. So so Jonathan, a practical application of this slow down and observe is would be in personal family communication with spouses with children because spouses and children are not always on the same page as we are. Okay, Colossians uh, three eighteen to twenty one. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not embitter them against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And, and that last line is so important. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Find a way to communicate with them. So the ability to read our family environment is a massively important principle. And most of the time we need to slow down observe, think, and then communicate. And Rick, you've often uh, commented on the different ways you communicate with your three children because they're all so different. And so you do have to observe how to get points across at the proper time, don't you? Yeah, and and you're right. My my son, Tim, was a very uh, reactionary individual. And he needed a quick response. He needed somebody to, to be able to keep up with him on a very high level. And that, he was exhausting, to be honest with you, <laughs> okay, as a teenager. My daughter, Emily, uh, second, second born, was exactly the opposite. She was quiet. And there were times when she would be troubled, and I would just go into her room and ask her if I could come in, and she, she wouldn't say anything. She'd just nod. And then I'd go over and I'd say, can I sit? And she'd nod, and I would just sit and not say a word. And sometimes we'd sit in silence for five or 10 or 15 minutes until she finally felt that she could start to talk. Amy needed guidance, firm, clear guidance or else. So, you know, the three of them were were entirely different. And to be able to figure that out and the way to figure that out, Jonathan, was to slow down and to watch because there was not the same answer in all three cases. And it's such an important part of this thing to be able to do that. So, you know, in my own past, you're right. You've got to look at, you've got to observe what's happening and then just think about it and say, okay, how can I communicate with this individual under these particular circumstances? So really uh, very dramatic examples of personal family communication. And the Apostle Paul is showing us how to slow down and how to observe. So, um, Great, great, great start to the whole idea of communication, you know, and really when you think about it, this is where things actually begin to get interesting. And Rick, on the personal side, we do need to know about communicating with other Christians, but when we might have issues, that's not easy. Now let's bring the better questions. That's how we get the better answers. See, Jonathan, mutual communication with those we stand with can sometimes be the hardest kind because our expectations are so much higher than with those who might stand against us. We expect unity and agreement, but often we get splintered opinions 
and divided thinkings instead. So we've got to figure out how do you manage communicating, especially with those of, of, of like faith? Because, again, your expectation is, hey, this should go well. And how often in your experience has you, have you thought that? And then, boom, like, what happened? <laughs> and it's in your heart you know, gets hurt when, when there is, there are issues that you would never thought would have come up and you're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) But, but these are brethren in Christ. They're ones that the Lord loves. And so we too need to share that appreciation, respect and love towards them and work it, work through it. And, and get to the bottom line so we can move forward. And it comes to communicating. So the first step was to slow down. The second step was to observe. So now in the six simple steps, when feeling triggered by someone or something, Jonathan, what's the third step? Rick, it's breathe and pause. Okay. So not only do we have to slow down and observe, specifically breathe. Because a lot of times we observe and then we just want to jump. And that's not what's going to get us to where we want to go. Again, going back to the Apostle Paul, um, when you think about it, Paul was now going to be given an opportunity to speak to a large congregation at Mars Hill. Now, when he would have stood before them, I imagine that he would, would have begun in a very calm and deliberate fashion. I mean, I could picture him standing there on Mars Hill with this audience, largely of skeptics, and looking at them, remembering the things he observed, you know, and again, this is the breathing part, and just looking in their eyes and saying to himself, I've got a wonderful message for you. I just want to frame it in a way that you're going to be able to hear it. So let's go back to Acts 17. Uh, again, this is going to be verses 22 and 23. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Okay, so he stood there um, his, and, and, and began. His communication was based on identifying with and acknowledging their piety. He met and respected them where they stood. And that, Jonathan, is such an amazing thing to me. He saw it, he had observed it beforehand, and said, I'm going to start with what's important to them. And Rick, the one word in what he just uh, wrote bothers me a little bit. Okay. And I want to share that with you. It's the word ignorance. He goes, therefore, what you worship in ignorance. Now, is he putting them down because it in today's language, it sure sounds like he just offended them in his address. Yeah, well, you're right, and, and that's, a, that's a good observation. And, and today, if you say, well, you, to somebody else, you do this in ignorance, people are going to definitely feel offended. But see, with the Apostle Paul, remember, back in those days, they were not politically correct. There was no such thing as political correctness, okay? So when he was talking to them about what they did in ignorance, he was saying, what you are doing is simply without full knowledge of what you can know. I want to show you the rest of the story. I want to show you how to complete those other things. Uh, I want to show you how to get to another level. So, no, I don't think that there was this insult at all. It was an identification of an area for growth. See, ignorance truly is 
an opportunity to grow. That's what it is. When you don't know something and you can know it, you want to take that ignorance and change it to enlightenment. And that's well, I, I feel much better now. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That's good. Um, so, so, you know, he acknowledged their piety. He met them and respected them where they stood. So our Apostle Paul communication lesson from this small part of his discourse on Mars Hill is what? Well, Rick, it's communication is best served when we stand deliberately, address our listeners respectfully, and speak our message passionately. Okay, and, and let, let's, let's go back on that because there is so much to that. Communication is best served when we stand deliberately. The Apostle Paul stood before this group of largely skeptics deliberately and intentionally to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was there for a very clear reason. In order to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was something that would have been heresy to them if he just started out by saying, you guys are all ignorant, Jesus Christ died on the cross, uh, was buried, and was raised again, and we have evidence of that, and you should believe in him right here and right now. They would have, they would have rebelled entirely. So he was deliberate, but that was just the beginning. And a lot of times we think, okay, I'm going to be clear and deliberate in my communication, and that's a good place to start, but then we end with that, and it doesn't go over well. Because he, we have to address our listeners respectfully. And again, he met them where they stood. And then he said, what you worship in ignorance, what you don't know, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to fill in that gap that you've been wondering about. And I know you've been wondering about it because it says to the unknown God, I'm going to fill in that knowledge so you can be better off. I mean, to me, that is just, that's inspirational at that moment. It's deliberate, it's respectful, and it's passionate. So, having said that, let's go back to uh, the sound bites on the NPR special on disarming a robbery with a glass of wine. And remember the last sound bite? Uh, the man is looking for money. Literally, nobody has any money. So one of the people of, of this group of eight says, here, look, look, we, we don't have any money. Why don't you sit down, have a glass of wine with us? And he does. And, and he starts to drink a little bit of the wine, and he eats a little bit of the cheese. So you're thinking, okay, is he going to blow up now? And you can imagine how tense these people were, because the man still had a gun. Now, he would put it in his pocket, but he still had a gun. What happens next? Let's find out. The man drank his wine, ate his cheese, and then he said something that no one expected. Said it almost to himself. I think I've come to the wrong place. And we were all like, hey, I understand these things happen. For a moment, they all sat there together. The stars overhead twinkling, the sound of chirping insects in the night air. And then he said something just so strange. He said, can I get a hug? And, um, my wife hugged him, and, and our friend hugged him, and then um, then he said, can, it, can, can we have a group hug? And so everyone got up and formed a circle around the man. I can't tell you how strange that was, <laughs> but we all did come around him and hug him, and um, he said he was sorry, and he walked out with a glass of wine out the gate. 
Is that weird or what? <laughs> wow. And you think about that, and you think about the courage it took to give the man a hug. He had a gun in his pocket, and but but they they figured they had no choice, and they were trying to get to, literally to talk him off the ledge of anger and frustration and need, and they found a way to fill a need that he didn't come to get filled, and it just is such an interesting thing because his reaction is, I think I'm in the wrong place. I can't, I can't try to take something from these people. They are kind. They're giving. They're understanding. They're compassionate. It's just an amazing, an amazing, amazing thing. I, I just love this story. Never heard amazing. of anything like this before. <laughs> so, again, let's let's continue to go forward now. Practical application. You know, we talked about breathe and pause, and we looked at the Apostle Paul um, standing deliberately, addressing his listeners respectfully, and then speaking his message passionately. Well. Our practical application here is going to be different than the family application we talked about previously. It's going to be personal fellowship communication with the body of Christ, the household of faith. And you, Jonathan, you already mentioned this. You got us started on this. Because we're so different from one another, we need to adopt the breathe and pause approach as we attempt mutual communication. Great scripture for that is, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 18, and we'll take it in pieces. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So what this part of the verse is telling us is that there is a unique equality within this body of Christ. And yet... And yet, every part is different. And what a great, powerful lesson. There is an equality, but there's an incredible difference between what the different parts of the body are there to do. And that's true. Uh, Personality-wise, we're different. Uh, We all come from different cultures, different upbringings. Uh, We have different education. Uh, We all have psychological weaknesses, which differ. How about this one, Rick? Some are smaller in stature than others. I'm just saying. (laughs) Okay, what's your point? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But, you know, the point is that, you know, look, even on a basketball team, you need the smaller guys, okay? Okay. I'm just saying. So the idea is that these varied parts that you were describing between personality and background and temperament and all of those things, all of those varied parts play a role. And God called each of those varied parts. I didn't decide who else was going to be in the body. He did. Am I going to argue with God? I mean, come on. <laughs> we better not. <laughs> not, gonna, not a good thing. Not a good end result. And, and so we sometimes have trouble with that, though. Sometimes we look at the situation. We say, well, you know, but I don't think I like the, the, the position that I play. And the apostle deals with that in this 1 Corinthians 12 scripture. Let's go to verses 15 to 17. If the foot says, because I am not the hand, I am not a part of the body, is it not for the reason any the less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. For the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? See, what the apostle is saying is rank is not important. Rather, functionality as a whole unit is the most important thing. So it doesn't matter who you are, what role you play, be 
your part. Do your part. Be the foot. Be the hand. Be the finger. Be the little pinky toe. It doesn't matter. Play that role because that's what you're given to do. Sign up for our CQ Rewind at ChristianQuestions.com. Hit the newsletter sign up tab and register for the CQ Rewind outline full of graphics and illustrations. It's a topical Bible study. And with a subject like this, it outlines the, a lot of the commentary on how to communicate. And folks, there are gems in these scriptural lessons. You want to be able to look at them and read them, and it's a free service. Seek your Rewind, the full edition. Sign up now through the app, through the Christian Questions app, or uh, through our website. Verse 18, Jonathan, of 1 Corinthians 12. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. Okay. God chose, we didn't. So this body of Christ picture is one of depth and beauty because it captures both the individuality of each member as well as the interconnectedness of all the members. The picture's beauty and its truth clearly send us simple and profound messages. And there's four messages here. There's four cornerstone messages. One, you are all under Christ. Two, you are one of many. Three, you are small. Four, you are important. Our mutual communication should reflect this profound four-cornered foundation. You are on. And Rick, Rick, we really need to remember we all have value or the Lord wouldn't have called us to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Yeah, and that's, that's critical. And again, you're all under Christ. You're one of many. You're small and you are important. So all of this has to work together in this four-cornered communication. So, Jonathan, let's go to a a soundbite uh, of bad listening, okay? This is from a very popular television show many of you have heard of and watched The Big Bang Theory. This is uh, Leonard and Sheldon. Uh, now, Leonard's always trying really hard to communicate and to talk, and Sheldon just doesn't seem to ever get it. So this is just dropping in on one of the episodes where Leonard's got a problem and he's telling his best friend Sheldon who could care less. Okay, so let's listen in. <laughs> Play. Play. How do you do it? Trying to use a Jedi mind trick to control Stephen Hawking. Play. Play. Ugh. He must be wearing a tinfoil hat or something. I did a bad thing. Does it affect me? No. Then suffer in silence. Play. 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 Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking. Penny started taking a class. She wrote a paper. She didn't want me to read it. I went behind her back. I read it anyway. Stephen Hawking hates me. I don't know what to do. The paper's terrible. But if I tell her, she'll know that I read it and she'll get really mad. I was beating him so bad he doesn't want to be friends anymore. Why does everyone love me except Stephen Hawking? Classic example of somebody so self-absorbed they cannot hear when someone else has an issue, you know, and, and we can watch something like that and we can laugh and say, oh, that's funny. But the real question is, do I ever do that to the people that are important to me? Do I ever get so self-absorbed that I can't listen, that I've shut them out without, without even thinking about it? And that's part of communication, Jonathan, is being aware of what others see and feel and try to express. And if we shut it down, then we are not communicating because communicating is listening just as much as it is speaking. 
So one more breathe and pause scripture to help us be centered in our mutual communication, because that's the theme of this particular segment. Breathe and pause. Remember, it was observe. It w- well, first it was slow down, then it was observe, and now it's breathe and pause. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the scripture is really simple. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. It's not, you know, let's flip a coin and choose A or B. Let's slow down. Let's observe. Let's breathe and pause and figure out how can I help my brother Jonathan toward love and good works? How can I contribute in a positive way toward his being stronger spiritually? Folks, that's really what, what this, this, this personal fellowship communication that we're ex- using as an example should be about. It's great to talk about the weather. It's great to talk about the car you bought. It's great to talk about, you know, the, the hard day you had at work. But it's even better to find a way to stimulate that brother or sister toward greater spirituality. Pause and consider. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. And, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, Trish walked by me, and she left me this little note, and it's really simple. It says, sounds like uh, respect. And really, that's what great communication is. Great communication is respecting those whom you want to communicate with enough to truly consider them first, put things in a perspective so you can actually see something um, of what they need, not what you want to give, not what you want to say, but what they need. So our communication amongst ourselves should be thoughtful and positive. And, you know, it it almost sounds like a a, a Lamaze birthing class. Breathe. (laughs) Hey, look, if you want to give birth to great communication, you do. You have to breathe. You have to relax yourself from your own emotions. You have to think. So, you know, there, there, are, there are lots of communication pieces here. And we need to be, be careful to, to look at them and understand them because there is an awful lot for us to absorb. With all that being said, so we slow down, observe, and breathe. Okay, do we actually get to finally say something now? Come on! <laughs> We've covered a lot of ground. There's puzzle pieces everywhere. Now let's put those pieces together. So, so Jonathan, our our preparation to become powerful communicators cannot be underestimated. For half of the communication battle is won in the preparation stage. Now, as we begin to unfold our message, we need to keep ourselves entirely in line with the spirit and the content of the message, not in line with how I feel, but the spirit and the content of the message, because I would venture to say that our greatest uh, um, discrepancy in our personal communication, my greatest problem is me. I get in the way of the message too often, and when you do that, it doesn't come across. Back, go ahead. And and Rick, uh, the question for the podcast, why doesn't anyone listen to me? Well, my response is hopefully we have something worthwhile to say as individuals right. when we do speak. And, and to find that something worthwhile, we have to analyze that something worthwhile. Is it just getting a load off of my own shoulders 
or is it do, saying something that has some kind of value, whether it be corrective value for someone who needs correction or building up value for someone who needs building up or encouragement value or observational value or contribution value. All of those things are different kinds of value that we can bring. But you're right. Is what I'm going to say valuable in some way? And do I have a reputation for saying something that has really no reason to be said? <laughs> <laughs> so back to those six simple steps um, from that uh, story about the, the wine glass and the, and the robber. Uh, step number four is what? Notice you have a choice point, a fork in the road of which direction you want to go. Reaction versus response. This is your point of power to choose. Okay, your point of power to choose. And this actually goes very well with this next soundbite from the, the, the video, Disarming a Robbery with a Glass of Wine. This was an NPR program. And it's going to talk about something, a word that I'd never heard of. I love words that I've never heard of because it's like, hey, that's a cool word. This is complementarity. And you think, okay, well, what the heck is complementarity? And, you know, it sounds like a really positive word, but it may not be a positive thing. So let's listen closely because they're explaining what, or beginning to explain what happens here uh, in, 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 this, in this robbery situation. All they could think to do was run into the house and hug and cry, half in fear, half in gratitude and relief. It was like, this was like a miracle. It was like a miracle. But was it a miracle? Or is there a better word for what happened that night? This is a professor at Michigan State University named Chris Hopwood. Chris spends his life looking at how people interact with each other. Specifically, he looks at something called complementarity. And he does that by videotaping people talking. How are people changing from moment to moment? So we actually get a data point every half second during the course of a conversation. The basic idea of complementarity is that people very naturally mirror each other as they interact. So warmth, 99% of the time, begets warmth. And likewise, hostility begets hostility. Now, breaking this pattern, say being warm when somebody is really nasty, is called non-complementary behavior. And it is really hard to do. And essentially, that's what they did at that party. They, <clears throat> excuse me, they engaged in non-complementarity. They engaged in non-complementary behavior. They did not give back hostility when they received it. And they changed the man as a result in that moment. So really a fascinating thing to look at. And in our communication, Jonathan, that complementarity really does work out pretty, pretty easily. Because when somebody comes at you with anger and frustration, you're going to respond with either anger and frustration or defensiveness. So we have a choice. Yeah, that's the point. React versus respond. Right. And we have the power to choose. That's right. So the point of power to choose is looking at what is our reaction and what ought our response to be in an appropriate sense. So to get back to that appropriate response, let's go back to a master of communication, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul builds on, communicates with the people's natural desire to worship. You know, we established that earlier, but we're just reviewing that that's what he did. He communicated with their natural desire to worship, and he gave them something to consider within that thinking that they had never before imagined. So here is his point of power. Let's continue Acts chapter 17, and now we're going to go verse, uh, verses 24 and through 26. 
The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Okay, so what he says is now he's talking about the unknown God. And he says, now this unknown God, the ignorance of your previous worship, I am now opening up to you. This unknown God made the world. He made everything in it. And the interesting thing about this unknown God, and this is a bold statement on the Apostle Paul, by the Apostle Paul, rather. He says, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He's not served by human hands like he needs anything. In other words, he's not an idol. Because remember what they used to do with their idols, Jonathan. They would bring meat to offer to the idol. And what would happen is when the idol didn't eat the meat that night, the next day that meat would be picked up and sold in the market at a discount because it was day old. Okay, so, <laughs> but you know, and he's saying, look, God doesn't need that kind of thing. He gives all people life and breath and everything. And out of one man, he made all of the nations of the earth. And he has, he's given life and opportunity to every human being. He's revealing something they never knew existed, and they just simply called the unknown God. He is, his point of power was to say, here is your unknown God. Let me make him known to you. He presented something to them bigger than they had ever heard before. That's right. Bigger, more, be more benevolent, and reachable than anything they had ever, ever imagined. And, that, and that's brought out for us in verses, the next verses, verses 27 and 28. That they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Okay, so he says that God is possible to find if you look for him. So again, the ignorance that they had to the unknown God, it was a God that was unreachable. And he's proclaiming to them, no, he's very reachable. You have to know where to look and how to look, but he's reachable and he's more powerful than anything you could have ever imagined. So his communication is being built on taking the ignorance that they had and making the ignorance opportunity and respectfully giving them that opportunity. And I love how he ended it with respect to them again, going to their own poets exactly. and complimenting their words to harmonize with his description of God. And it just goes to show that in his time of observation, he really did learn about who these people were and what motivated them. So what's the Apostle Paul communication lesson here in this segment? Communicating the paradigm shift message of the gospel is best accomplished by positively lifting incomplete thinking and conclusions to a truly grander and higher spiritual level. Okay, this is truly focusing on a point of power. To lift incomplete thinking and incomplete conclusions to a grander and higher spiritual level by filling in the gaps that they never knew existed. And it's thrilling when you see how the Apostle Paul does this with such a masterful, um, masterful uh, way that he, he approaches this. 
Great point, Rick. We welcome all comments or questions, even if you disagree with us. Give us a call. We're live at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. All right, Jonathan, let's go back to the Big Bang Theory. You know, we had Leonard really trying hard to uh, to communicate with Sheldon. Sheldon was just not listening. So Leonard's going to come up with this idea of a chess clock. You know, in, in a chess clock, you know, it's a timer thing. And when you hit the clock, you have the time and, and you get to talk. And, that's, and so he's saying you hear him bang on the clock so he starts to talk. And then when you hear the next bang, it's Sheldon banging on the clock because now he wants to talk. And the idea is let's give each other time. But, you know, as is anything in a good comedy, nothing goes <laughs> as planned. Is it possible we're having two different conversations? <laughs> How would I know? I'm not listening to you. <laughs> Hang on. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Chess clock. We each get five minutes to talk about our problems. We'll take turns. Each turn will consist of a statement and a helpful response from the friend. Begin. I humiliated Stephen Hawking in a game of words with friends. He stopped playing, and now we're not friends anymore. He's probably busy. You're worried about nothing. Give it a couple more days. I'm sure he'll play, and you'll see that everything's fine. My turn. I can't let Penny hand in a bad paper, but uh, how do I tell her it's bad without letting her know that I read it? Mm. Beats me. Now, <laughs> I know Hawking's not busy because I can see he's playing other people right now. Maybe since you're so good, he's taking his time to meet the challenge. I want Penny to enjoy it. Well, all of us told me he's a big baby. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that, and I played extract for 82 points. So it's all Amy's fault. She told me to play it. I've got to cut her loose. <laughs> Sheldon, I wasn't done talking. Oh, yes, you were. You know, and that's such a classic example. And it's funny to me when you hear someone who just can't get out of their own way. And his friend is truly looking for help. He's looking for a shoulder to cry on. He's looking to put things in perspective. And he just can't get it as hard as he tries. That's bad communication. That's what that is. So, Jonathan, let's get back now to a practical application of good communication. We, you know, we start, started with personal family communication. We went to personal fellowship communication. Now the practical example here for this segment is ministering to the church communication, to the body of Christ, the household of faith. Now, this is different than fellowship as this communication is built upon and goes beyond being able to understand one another and deals with the importance of keeping spiritual order in the church environment. Uh, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we have behaved toward you believers. So let, let's pause there for a moment because the apostle is saying, look, recall how I was there. This is the apostle Paul speaking, and I worked day and night with you to proclaim the gospel of God. That was the only thing of any importance. Your witnesses, uh, how we were focused on just one thing. So he's, he's helping them understand that his focus was for their benefit before he's going to go into some areas of potential difficulty. Let's go to verses 11 and 12. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And Rick, I love how he uses at the very end there, there's the goal in mind. Right. 
to, to look at that kingdom of glory. What a great motivational tool that was for them. And he wasn't saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta have respect for this because I worked so hard. He's reminding them he worked so hard to show them what they were to, to be focusing on. It wasn't about the Apostle Paul. It was about those he was ministering to. And, and, and look, folks, in our communication, in when, when others may need help and others may need hard language, you know, to help them get themselves straight, we need to understand and adopt this principle of godliness first for all. Not about me, not about what I say, but about where you can go in terms of your, your own particular difficulty. And Rick, Paul communicates his track record to show them his pure intention. And to me, I, I see that as unselfish and selfless, giving all he could to them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's, see, the best communication is when I can leave myself, my, my um, how I feel out of it. Now, now you know, you, you run into a problem because, you know, what if you have an issue with your, your spouse and it's about, you know, I feel we want, should do it this way and you feel we should do it that way. Of course you have to discuss your feelings and all of that. Of course you do. And it's important. But if you can create that discussion on a level that says, I really want what's best for you first and for us, you know, it's going to change how I feel and it's going to change how I present how I feel. And if I feel very strongly about something, you just... You, you, you be honest about it, but you don't be honest in a way that crushes somebody because that's not communication. That's bullying. And, you know, the scriptures don't give us any indication about going in that direction. You know, another, another great example of this is the Corinthian church. They had issues of pride and poor leadership. They had a lot of issues. They had a lot more issues than that. But uh, Paul, the apostle, addresses them in their issues in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 18 to 21. Now, some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So this is interesting, because he said, okay, while I'm away... Some have become really arrogant, and they're full of, basically, they're full of hot air. They're doing a lot of talking. They're, do, they're, they're making a lot of proclamations. I'm planning on coming back, and I'm interested, it's interesting the way he says that, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. So he always keeps that in, in front, and he said, but when I do come back, if the Lord wills, we're going to see if the talk is really power or if it's simply words, empty words communication is not just spewing out words communication is transferring an idea a concept that carries with it the power of change that's what the apostle paul was was focusing them on his, his point of power here is simple the most trustworthy communication comes through action not through words and too often words communicate pride and not principle big difference there big big difference and Jonathan, I just wanted to, to interject a, a little personal story here about a really bad communication error that I made several years ago with one of my daughters. My, my, my younger daughter came to me one day kind of sheepishly and said, you know, I want to tell you something about something that my older daughter did. She said, you know, um, your, 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 your daughter, your, my, you know, my sister, uh, joined eHarmony. And I was listening, but I didn't hear. And I thought 
that she said your daughter joined the army. Now look, eHarmony, the army, they, they, the army, they sound kind of close. <laughs> so I hear that my daughter joined the army and I blew my stack. I said, what are you talking about? She said, dad, it's okay. I said, what do you mean it's okay? How can you say it's okay? She said, dad, calm down. You're overreacting. I said, I am not overreacting. Did she at least talk to her brother? How come she didn't come talk to me? What is going on? And I'm, you know, my blood pressure is going up. And she's looking at me like, dad calm down and I said I can't be calm and she said dad it's a dating service and I said what <laughs> <laughs> and when she finally when she said it again and it clicked we just laughed and laughed and laughed because it was the classic you hear something and you just react and what I heard, I just completely heard it wrong. And it just, to this day, it is one of the, the, the funnier stories within our family of somebody messing up the communication. And that somebody, that somebody, in this case, just happened to have been me. So communication is work. But wait, there is more. This brings us to a tough question. Finally, what is the secret to being able to communicate things that might be hard to hear? It's time for a CQ Deep Dive. That's how we find the answers. See, to communicate what we believe might be difficult truth, we need to first make sure that we've listened to the circumstances, the thinking, and the beliefs that surround our audience. Having listened tends to open up others' minds, into which we can, with grace, introduce new and potentially contrary thoughts. I mean, it all works together if we allow ourselves to follow through with all of the pieces that we've talked about, the, the slowing down, the observing, the breathing and the pausing, the, the making of the choice, and uh, you know, the, the um, what was it, the, cho the choice of um, the power to choose, the point of power, that's what it was, the point of power. Those are the first four um, items. We're gonna get to the, the last two in just a moment, but Jonathan, first let's go back to the example of, this is how not to listen, okay? Don't try this at home, this isn't good. Now, now again, back to the Big Bang Theory and Sheldon and, and Leonard, and obviously Sheldon is frustrating the daylights out of Leonard, and they keep banging on these chess clocks to try to, to, to get time to talk, and there's talking, but there's no listening. Whoops, I, we just did that. Let's try this. She hands in the paper tomorrow. I know I could help her, and she's my girlfriend. I, I should be allowed to help her. Why aren't I allowed to help her? Yeah, I hear you, brother. <laughs> you need to give me some advice. Uh, fine. Uh, women, huh? No. <laughs> Specific to my situation. But, uh, blonde women, huh? <laughs> It sucks to be you. <laughs> Leonard, wait, no. <laughs> you know, that's what not to do, but that's what so many times we end up doing. We're so caught up in ourselves that we can't see, we can't feel, we can't hear, we can't touch, we can't identify with those that we're trying to communicate with. The last two steps, Jonathan, and these six simple steps are what? Number five. Rick, we're back to breathe and pause. Okay, back to that again. There's a reason for that. And number six, choose a different response that's in alignment with your core values, such as experiencing great peace, loving connection, and joy. Okay, and you said it before. Don't react. Respond. So 
again, to get to that different response, we really have to breathe and pause. And it's so interesting that that step is in there twice because we have to identify with how to get there. And that's not an easy place to get to. So let's go to our, our final soundbite from Disarming a Robbery with a Glass of Wine, a really remarkable story of communication that you would have never expected. And it, it, in the last soundbite, they were talking about, um, uh, what was the word, complementarity, and when to try to break that. Complementarity is, is reacting in the way that you've been, been reacted to. And it's too easy to do that. Sometimes we need to change that. And this is this particular soundbite is about breaking that cycle for good. But people do manage to sometimes behave in non-complementary ways. And when they do, it often completely shakes up a situation. It happens between people, but also it can happen on a bigger level. The reason, for example, that we admire people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. is because they were able to maintain a, a sort of warmth and integrity in the face of people who were being cruel to them. The march in Selma, nonviolence in India, offering a man with a gun at your head a glass of French wine, those aren't miracles. They're examples of non-complimentary behavior. So remember those people at the dinner party? Later that evening, after everything had calmed down, they would find this glass neatly placed on the sidewalk by their alley. Not thrown, not carelessly discarded, placed. And what a fitting end to the story. They, they changed the man. The man didn't walk away with anger and frustration. He walked away with respect and honor because he was re- communicated to as a as a respected human being who was just lost in, in in a bad bad situation at that time. What a beautiful thing! And Rick, in the Old Testament, the Lord taught us the, this concept in Proverbs fifteen verse one: a gentle or soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So. It really is true. We can break the complementarity of a situation that's going south if we can do the gentle answer that turns away wrath. And Jonathan, that was another very significant communication tool I used with my children is they could not get me mad. If I thought it was appropriate to be mad, I would be mad, but they could never make me mad. And the more they would try, the softer I would get. And they just couldn't fight it. They just, (laughs) it's hard to do, let me tell you, but it is a powerful, powerful tool to apply that scripture that you just talked about. So Paul's, let's go back to the Apostle Paul for a final time here. His previous reference to their own poets was another natural break, was another breathe and pause, if you will, in his communication. And he reminded them of his respect for an understanding of what they considered important. And Rick, by the way, that verse uh, that we read is, for in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your old poets have said, for we are also his children. So the apostle quoted their own poets, something that was famous to show them that he recognized their culture and respected their culture, and he found the good in their culture, and it was a disarming thing. So now he builds his main and difficult message, because this was a difficult message for such an idolatrous people. He builds this difficult message of hope, which is actually twofold, okay? Uh, Acts, back to Acts 17, now verses 29 and 30. 
being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. So he's basically telling them that God is not going to be shown in gold or silver or stone or some image that you guys made up. He's essentially telling them that the basis, the very basis of their entire religious culture is bogus. That's what he's telling them. That's a pretty bold thing to say. But he has told them in such a kind and generous and compassionate and logical and fascinating manner that they're listening. They're listening. And again, that word ignorance comes up. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, he's saying, God has seen your ignorance, but your ignorance is now opportunity to be, have that void filled with goodness and godliness. So the first point is they had been worshiping in error and in, that word again, and in ignorance, having made God into an image created by their own hands. Worshiping, right idea, idols, wrong execution. So the first point is you've been doing something that has great potential in a very, very detrimental way. And Rick, um, with the times of ignorance, I, I like the thought of now God has revealed this right. to you. Right. How special is that right. to be in that audience hearing this? Right, right. You have now seen the unknown God and it is way bigger and more important than you could have ever imagined. And he goes on, verse 31, you know, the first point was they had been worshiping in error and in ignorance. Verse 31 uh, continues. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So now he really gets into the difficult things. You would have thought that telling them that their idols are all hogwash is, would have been the hard thing. But this was the even harder thing. Second point is all of the errors and ignorance would come to righteous judgment by the living God that he had proclaimed, that, that Paul had proclaimed, and that the raising of Jesus was proof of that proclamation. Jesus had lived not too very long ago. He had been raised from the dead, and he's saying that gives us proof that God worked through him in a way that has never happened before. And we need to give our, 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 our piety and our reverence to this God, because he is the God of all things. Jonathan Paul has communicated. Oh, he has. He has gotten out a message that is really, really difficult to get out. I, I wonder what the response was, Rick. Well, funny you should say that. Next two verses kind of tell us what the response is. So again, Acts chapter 17, now verses 32 and 33. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among with those were Dionysus and Aeropite and the woman named Damaris and others with them. So the reaction, Jonathan, besides really bad names to pronounce. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the reaction is mixed. Now, I wonder if he was disappointed. 
I, you know what? I don't think so. I don't think so at all because when you think about it, how are you going to take a massive group of people and in one sitting just convince them of something that they had never seen and to essentially tell them everything you've been doing up to this point is exactly wrong. They had no basis of Judaism to build on, so they didn't understand the one God anyway. So they were, they were miles away from the truth that Paul had given them. So the fact that some believed was, was success. The fact that some sneered was a success because the fact that they sneered mean that they heard him. That's what it means. They heard what so, he said. So the communication worked. Right. And that's all he was there to do. And see, that's the thing about communication. All we can do is express the point, express the value, express the importance, getting out of our own way, express the importance. That's what communication is. What someone does with that is not our job. We just have to make sure we deliver the goods intact. So the Apostle Paul communication lesson here, Jonathan, uh, our final lesson for today from the Apostle Paul is what? Even when our communication has all of the right ingredients and intentions fully activated, it will not miraculously change anyone's perspective. The object is for the message to be received fully intact so we can now listen and then respond further. Okay. So the object is for the message to be received fully intact so we can now listen because once a message is received fully intact, there's now something for you to listen to, listen for, and then you can respond further. See, now we can break the intact delivery of the message by getting in the way of the message. And too often we end up getting in the way of the message because for some reason we think, I think, I'm more important than the message. You got to understand it's me talking here. And when we do that, Jonathan, we blow the whole thing. And our communication now becomes an expression of ego, an expression of pride, an expression of me, which is essentially an expression of idolatry. The apostle showed us that communication by expressing godliness and taking yourself out and keeping the respect of those you're talking to first and foremost, that's how you make a point. Really, this is to me just such a dramatic, beautiful lesson on how to really communicate with others. And the Apostle Paul, we're thankful for him that shows us these beautiful ways to communicate. Yeah, you know, we could have used Jesus as an example, and, and obviously it would have been incredibly appropriate and incredibly wise and incredibly profound, but the Apostle could not do the things that Jesus did, but he could still communicate. And that's why he's such a great example, like you're, you're explaining. Last soundbite is from Julian Treasure. We went through his TED Talk earlier in the uh, podcast, How to Speak, so people will want to listen. And he's going to use an acronym about good communication. And the acronym is the word HAIL, H-A-I-L. I'd like to suggest that there are four really powerful cornerstones, foundations, that we can stand on if we want our speech to be powerful and to make change in the world. Fortunately, these things spell a word. The word is hail, and it has a great definition as well. I'm not talking about the stuff that falls from the sky and hits you on the head. I'm talking about this definition, to greet or acclaim enthusiastically, which is, I think, how our words will be received if we stand on these four things. So what do they stand for? The H, honesty, of course. Being true in what you say, being straight and clear. The A is authenticity, just being yourself. A friend of mine described it as standing in your own truth, which I think is a lovely way to put it. The I is integrity, 
being your word, actually doing what you say, and being somebody people can trust. And the L is love. I don't mean romantic love, but I do mean wishing people well. For two reasons. First of all, I think absolute honesty may not be what we want. I mean, my goodness, you look ugly this morning. (laughs) Mm, Perhaps that's not necessary. Tempered with love, of course, honesty is a great thing. But also, if you're really wishing somebody well, it's very hard to judge them at the same time. And that's a great, great point. Folks, look, if you don't subscribe to Seeker Rewind, the full edition, you better do it. Because with this type of a a conversation, and there are gems in here from the scriptures and and from the sound bites and so forth that can really help you in your daily communication. Jonathan, let's finish. We only have like a minute. Uh, minute, minute, minute and a half, minute. Eight Secrets of Communication, a July 19th, 2016 Forbes.com article by Travis Bradbury. There are these eight secrets of communication. Let's just run through them. What are they? Spend more time listening than you do talking. Okay. I mean, think about that. Listen, listen, listen. Do not answer questions with questions. It's not going to help your communicating. Avoid finishing other people's sentences. Let them finish their own thought. Focus more on the other person than you do on yourself. That's a hard one, but boy, that's where communication really begins. Focus on what people are saying right now, not on what they're interested in. Okay, what is on their mind now? Refrain from what the other person has said to make sure you understand how him or her correctly. So you retell them that this budget needs further consideration, right? Just reframe the words that they said so it makes more sense. Ask plenty of questions. Your connection just got a little uh, fuzzy there, Jonathan. And the final one, the final is never interrupt. And folks, that's really what we want to be focusing on here is don't interrupt. Be clear. Be concise. Listen. Pause. Do all of the things in the preparation so that when you get to the actual communication, it can be something of great, great, great value. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We hope uh, that the, the, the discussion on communication can truly change the way you live. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, why doesn't anyone listen to me? You now have the tools to change that. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you thought about our today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. And make sure to download the Christian Questions app.